0: Now, what I'm saying directly to these people could apply in other forms to a lot of you. So if something quickens within your spirit when I'm saying these things, take it for yourself, whatever aspect touches you. You're both gonna find yourself in situations very soon where people are gonna ask you, groups, little groups are gonna call you to come and impart your skills and talents and how they can adapt it into their business context or their social context. And you might be so busy at that time that you think, I can't fit this in. And besides that, what spiritual worth is going to be in that? You're going to find many in that group are going to invite you to other groups, if not that group, back again to talk about your faith in Jesus. Because they will have sensed, coming through a secular talk, the presence of Jesus. And I hate to use things like godly and secular, because everything pertains to godliness in life except sin. Now, there are others in this audience that this is going to happen to, and you'll remember this word. Take that opportunity. You might have to do a little preparation. You might have to get some of your old talents off the shelf, knock the dust off, hone them up again, and you'll find they work. Maybe you're intimidated by your children or grandchildren who said, oh, those habits are old-fashioned. You bring them off the shelf to a new generation. They're going to say, wow, we've never seen that before. You're going to find yourself... Stepping into a ministry that's going to be bigger than you can imagine. Thank you. Thank you for receiving that. <laughs> and just in that same vein, <clears throat> I was reminded when Pastor Paul called me, he texted me first, didn't give me any option. Uh, <clears throat> reminded me of a Saturday morning in the 1980s in Johannesburg. And I know um, David comes from my hometown, Durban south coast of Natal. Katie comes from Johannesburg. Is that right? From Johannesburg? Pretoria. Another level higher. Okay. I know that. The capital. And um, uh, Saturday mornings, unless I was speaking at a youth camp or a church camp, which would be Friday night to Sunday afternoon, um, Saturday mornings were precious. As a family, we would go down to the local shopping center, Cresta Shopping Center in Randburg, and just hang out there, talk to people about Jesus when you had the opportunity. And I was awakened at 6 a.m. by a telephone call. It was one of those old big receivers you picked up and banged your head when you picked them up, half asleep. And um, uh, it was a very deep Afrikaans-speaking voice, speaking English pretty good. Uh, He said, I am the, he used the word duamini. That's a Dutch Reformed reverend, um, a preacher from a country church. He said, we're having a social group for men here, and our uh, speaker has just called in, at 6 a.m., saying, I'm ill, I can't manage it. Do, do your own thing. He said, would you come? Now, that I knew that. I calculated that. You would have Johannesburg, Pretoria, and then at a right angle, two hours drive on country roads to the little town of Brits. And I arrived, there were 10 or 12 um, men sitting around looking rugged. They were farmers and that sort of thing. And they they were really tough guys. And they were all bigger than me. Reminds me of the men's camps I've done for you guys. I'm a midget when everyone else, uh, you big guys sitting at the back there, especially John. (coughs) And um, they, um, they, they looked down at me and said, what have you got to teach us? So I started off speaking in Afrikaans to them. Uh, uh, gentlemen. And um I uh, guess Not bad, eh? And uh, wh- who understood that? Do you need a translation? Uh, good morning, gentlemen. It's it's a privilege to be with you this morning. And one guy put his hands over his ears and he said, Oh, your Afrikaans is excellent, but your accent is terrible. <laughs> I can't help my accent. That was where I grew up. David and I speak alike. However, I got down to talking about psychological things, about marriages, about because I'm a counsellor in those areas as well. That's why I do a lot of counselling and um, helping out at Olympics and Paralympics, because that's the area that athletes mess up with their families, relationships with their kids. And um, I got talking, and the minister lent across to me and said, tell them about Jesus, they're not expecting it. So I did. And three of those guys got saved that morning. And then I went home. It was just like that. Cut and dried. Everyone disappeared. I had a last cup of coffee, and I got in my car and drove the two hours home. So, Oh, well, that was reasonably enjoyable. Let's so see what comes of it. 20 years later, now I'm living in Australia, and a man finds me on Facebook. He said, I've just joined Facebook, and your name popped up. And I want you to know I was one of those men at that little meeting in Brits. I was unsaved. I didn't want to go, but my wife pushed me out of bed and sent me to that meeting because I needed some help in my marriage. He said, I got saved that morning. And he said, I just want you to know your investment in me has grown. I'm now pastoring a church of 3,000 people. (laughs) You are going to get encouragements like that because many of you, are going to be invited into situations where somebody has recognized a talent or a skill in you. Come and talk to our group about it. It might be a little group. It might be an inconvenience to you, but do it, do it. And you may come away thinking, well, that was a waste of time. You don't know what God's gonna do in that community, just sowing from your life, where you might not have spoken about spiritual things, but you've impacted somebody who's gonna come to Jesus as a result. Please don't be. Like a woman I encountered in a meeting probably 30 years ago in southern London, Tottenham Court Road. I was invited to a little Pentecostal church to come and, you know, kick them in the butt and encourage them to be witnesses for Christ. So it was like three sessions, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon. Then I drove to be with my family again. And I just got to saying as I finished off a meeting, um, please don't neglect this. Because you could find yourself in a situation where somebody contacts you who's dying and you don't know how to lead them to Christ. And you try and call someone who can help you, but when you, that person gets there, the person has died already. And there was a beautiful African lady with a London accent, she'd obviously grown up in London, sitting two rows in front of me. And she just threw up her hands, screamed, and burst into tears. I thought, that even sounds like demonic manifestation, it wasn't, it was grief. She got up and she said, please, everyone, listen to this man. Don't take this as just a social talk. This is eternal urgency. She said, two weeks ago, I got a call from a woman I used to work with in one of the supermarkets. I hadn't seen her for some time, but she knew I was a Christian. she just had a stroke, and she called me to come and lead her to Jesus. I didn't know how to because I'd I'd had the opportunity to attend these little evangelism courses in times past. Those are for evangelists, not for just somebody personal like me. She said, I wish I would attended because I called all over Southern London looking for my pastor. He was out of town. And when I went to see the people two days later, that friend of mine had died the night before. I wish I'd listened and learned how to lead, lead someone to Jesus because I doubt that lady was saved and I'll never see her again. She said, that's why I screamed. The the agony of missing that opportunity just overcame me. I said, lady, don't condemn yourself. Just ask God's forgiveness and use this as a motivation. It'll never happen again. She she brought all my material. She took all my notes. I said, well, that's a bit of overkill, but at least you're gonna know how to help a lot of people. So take this, this seriously. You're a Pentecostal church, and I want to talk to you about a big advantage. I'm not gonna be long, But a big advantage you've got in having the gifts of the Holy Spirit available to you to touch people's lives far deeper than skin deep. And I'm going to read to you from a favorite portion of Scripture, uh, from 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just some selected verses. I just want to make a context here. 1 Corinthians 12, starting verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, this is our brother, the Apostle Paul speaking, I don't want you to be ignorant then down to verse 4 now there are diversities of gifts but all by the same Spirit Holy Spirit there are differences of administrations but it's the same Lord there are different diversities of operations of these gifts but it's the same God who works all in all but this manifestation of the Spirit is given to everyone for the profit of others remember that it's not for your profit and prestige You may get a lot of taunts and jeers from the audience. But that's normally somebody who's been touched very deeply and doesn't like it. They've been convicted and they'll retaliate in self-defense. Don't take it personally. Because they're trying to push God away and they won't win that one. Now, for to one is given by the Spirit, the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, the gift of faith by the same Spirit. Now, that's not your normal faith. That's the faith or the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit that will operate through you where you don't know how to handle a situation. If you're ever going to be asked by God to raise somebody from the dead, you're going to need that gift of faith. (laughs) The faith of the Holy Spirit that will rise within you like an unction, and it will almost carry you into the situation. You think, what am I doing? This is audacity. Well, it is. It's holy audacity. (laughs) To another, the gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, diverse kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these things work that self-same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. Okay, remember that little statement at the end. It's as he wills. Be alert for the Holy Spirit to use you in any context One of my prayers in personal preparation every day, it takes me about two or three minutes to go through this little, it's not a ritual, I make it personal, of preparing myself for the day. Help me to be open to you, Holy Spirit, to recognize that prod or the kick in the butt that you're giving me to step out into the situation and to say and do what you want me to do. Do you think he might be vaguely interested in answering that prayer? (laughs) Ho, 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 ho. You give him that opportunity and watch what happens. It'll be hilarious. You'll be telling stories like this in years to come with a history to back it up. There used to be a very arrogant statement made in the old Pentecostal churches that came from the Dutch and the Belgian and the German background that pervaded South Africa. um, That if you were a good boy, Or a good person. The Holy Spirit might give you one gift. And if you were extra special, then you'd get two gifts. (laughs) And if you were full of God's holiness, you'd get three gifts. That bred arrogance. Did you experience that, Katie? Oh, I did too. It repulsed me. I was ignorant. I wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit at that stage. But I got saved in this Pentecostal church. So I stayed there. And I love the singing. And uh, a couple of my sporting friends were involved there, and that made it more kosher. However, um, the <sighs> it repulsed me that I had to try and impress God. You can't impress God. He's the one who makes us worthy, and he loves to use us and hold us up as a trophy to others. And um, I learned that these are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He owns them, not us. He should own us. They are his gifts. He lives in us. Now put this together. So the potential to operate all those gifts is in us. But now why is it that some people are used a little more than others in certain gifts? Now you might flow with particular gifts, but not so much in others. It's because of your upbringing. It's because of your talents and skills. It's because of natural compassion that you might have. I mean, some of the men I meet are tough guys, but they have a compassion. And they wonder why God uses them with the gifts of healings and the working of miracles, because it's your compassion to see people well. Yeah. Now, I've n- never been medically inclined. I do know I've done uh, ba- basic first aid out of Boy Scouts and things like that. but. Um, I have a natural compassion. I hate to see people sick. I can even watch surgery taking place and blood everywhere without being squeamish because a healing is in process. Actually, I've said to a lot of my doctor friends who are a bit skeptical about God's healing. I said, well, whether you're skeptical or not, you're in partnership with God. You know that you're in the healing business and God started the healing business. And that's actually brought many doctors to a faith in Christ. One of them, that I led to the Lord back in, gosh, the 1970s. Became, eventually, after being a a surgeon in Britain, the senior Perth royal flying doctor. And we're still friends today. I taught him how to lead people to Jesus. And he actually had this little pamphlet, How to Lead People to Christ, that I ask you to take off the table after. You don't want to be in a situation where you don't know how to lead someone to Jesus. It comes in a... Full-size page for those of you who um, might have to use spectacles to read, and then a tinier print one that'll fit in the front of your Bible, that you've got it in front of your Bible. The first six or seven people I led to the Lord, I read it straight off the page. From you wouldn't read my, hand, be able to read my handwritten notes that I wrote this down in June 1962, a few months after I got saved. Gosh, this year I've been saved 60 years. I can't believe it i'm not that old (laughs) Uh, look i'm just older that's all but um, um please take this and paste it in the front of your bible and what i've done sometimes if i haven't exactly had the chance to show the person how to pray to receive christ our meeting is over and i have to leave or they have to leave i pull out one of these and i say, that little red print is the prayer that you need to pray and then there are a couple of verses of scripture you need to read. Steal a New Testament if you don't own one and, and then give it back afterwards. You've got the insur- assurance of your salvation. So um, that little pamphlet is so worthwhile to have and I'd be honored if you took that, if that just pushed you over the edge with that knowledge of how to bring someone to a faith in Christ, that you're sure of it. Now, um, <clears throat> let's just briefly go through these gifts. i want to tell you some stories so that you'll remember. How does tongues and interpretation of tongues get people saved? When the scripture says, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, that it's for the edification of the body of Christ. And non-believers are ignorant about it. And yet Paul says in one little line that the speaking in other tongues is to shake up. That's the way I see it the non-believer who might be in the congregation. That was my thought. When I got saved in this Pentecostal church, and I heard people speaking in so many different languages, what an intelligent congregation. And then I was taught, that they're speaking in tongues from the Holy Spirit. Well, there was a Sunday service in our local church that I was part of in Johannesburg that uh, I got too late one Sunday because I was conducting a mission in an Anglican church. Early service, and just caught the middle part of the pentecostal service that that i went to and um, the place was full about 450 people 500 people and in walked just after me four people all dressed very smart i mean this church was dressed like you guys it was hot weather so nobody dressed up but these people dressed in like they stepped out of an art gallery and i could hear a foreign accent anyway the only seats that were free were in the front, <laughs> And so they, the four seats they sat in were right in front of the pastor. And he blinked at them, didn't carry uh, welcomed them, didn't break his flow. But um, during the communion, there was a quiet little lull uh, after the people had taken the communion emblems. And a woman that we knew, her name was Shirley, got up and she brought a message in tongues. Rather lengthy. It sounded like Flemish or... French. Now, I, didn't, I know the Flemish language, but I, I don't know what she was saying. And the people in the front row, these four people, looked at each other, all agitated, and started talking. Then a man on the other side of the congregation got up and gave the interpretation of those tongues, also lengthy, and the people in the front row started weeping. And then the man in charge of that group dressed very well, got up and he said to the pastor, in his French accent, he said, may I say something to the congregation? The pastor said, he didn't know what was happening, just gave him the microphone. And the man said to my friend Shirley, where did you learn ancient French? It's a language that's not not spoken anymore. He said, we speak slang these days. She said, I don't even speak normal French. It was a message from the Holy Spirit that he gave me and, and I just spoke it out. And then the man shook his head in disbelief. He said to that gentleman, he said, where did you learn ancient French? Because you translated what she said exactly to the word. Now, that's not normally what happens. You might find a message in tongues with a much shorter interpretation. It's the gist of what the Holy Spirit wants conveyed that gets across. And the man said, sir, I just gave the words that God put in my thoughts. The man turned to the pastor He said, may I tell the congregation my story? I said, sure. He said, I am the curator of a museum, an art gallery in Paris. We're here for an art conference, and we were looking for a Catholic church this morning, and we were late, and we just saw church service, so we turned down here and we walked into this building, and that's why we're here. But it's obvious that God wanted us here, because both of you, talking to Shirley and this gentleman, have addressed a problem that has plagued our family for 400 years, you gave me the solution this morning. (laughs) He burst into tears. He turned to the pastor and he said, you people are most unusual. I'm glad we came this morning. Please, will you lead us to Jesus? That is a prime situation where a message in tongues and interpretation has arrested unsaved people and got them saved. Don't neglect that gift. Don't neglect that gift. You might think, this is a ridiculous situation. This is a business context that I'm talking in. And you might just mutter a little prayer in, in tongues under your breath. And someone in the front row might know just the language you're speaking in. Leave it to the Holy Spirit to sort out. Now, interpretation. <clears throat> situation in <clears throat> Pietermaritzburg, north of Durban. I used to date a young lady there one time before I met my wife. But I'll leave that story out because she ended up marrying somebody else. (laughs) Talk about the prickles on a cactus. That's how I became as a result of that experience. And I recognized the healing God gave me to be able to communicate past that. And how many people in different fields and areas of life I've helped with marriage and relationship problems using that experience as a platform. You you summed it up brilliant, Katie. Well done. Well anyway, the. In this Presbyterian church, I mean, it was an evangelical church, but not Pentecostal. The place was packed, start of a week-long mission that ran from Sunday morning to Wednesday. And they were hoping to reach the university campus across the road, but nobody was interested, just a few university students in, about probably 300 people. And we get to the communion part of the service, very sacred for Presbyterians, very orderly and quiet. And um, there must have been some wayward Pentecostal. That sneaked into that meeting who couldn't stand the silence and he started bellowing out in tongues and it shattered everything i, sh- I shriveled oh no god who let that maniac loose in here <laughs> you've been in situations like that somebody who just wants to be known but i realized this, this could be god setting things up for my mission and it was because i got the interpretation of what he said it just invaded my thoughts, I sat on it, to see if anybody else had it. Actually, the pastor's wife was in the worship team. She got it, but she said it was so impacting, I was frightened to say it because it reveals some of the secrets of the people that she and her husband who were counseling those people knew. So she was skating on thin ice if she'd given that interpretation. Finally, the pastor said, please, if somebody has that interpretation, let us have it. And I said, sir, I did. I went up and I took over the pulpit. And I said, this is what the Lord says through that message. And I gave it to them. It touched everyone in that congregation. And as I finished it, I stepped back because the Holy Spirit had dropped in. That had been his knock on the door. And there were sufficient doors open for the Holy Spirit to move. Where It was, it was so funny. These were elderly people. They were all swaying in unison like a wind blowing over a wheat field I can still see it I was standing on this raised pulpit watching all this the pastor was watching too and um, they were swaying and then some of them looked like they were a little bit shaky and infirm and had to sit down they dropped down others fell into the aisles and it started that mission when they all got up in their seats I said how many of you feel easier pains and aches have gone and you're really feeling youthful again. A forest of hands went up. It was an anointing of healing that had flowed through that congregation. And there was no man running around laying hands on people that people could say, come here man, come here man. I didn't have anything to do with that. The Holy Spirit invaded that church first. The word got across the university campus. Half the congregation every night through that week were university students. Probably our 200 university students got saved as a result of that miraculous move of the Holy Spirit during that communion service. In fact, that church said afterwards, you've got to come back more. We need more lightning to hit us like that. Actually, I did go back, but they were growing tremendously. Prophecy. Prophecy is speaking forth in your normal language a message you believe that the Holy Spirit's given you for somebody, an individual, or... A group of people. Now I'm just thinking some classic situations in everyday life rather than church meetings. Um, I was just finishing a men's camp in uh, full gospel business men's camp in Cairns. Lovely weekend. Monday morning flying back. Direct flight from Cairns to Brisbane. About two and a half hours. Settled back as everyone else did and the drinks coffee and tea cart was coming around and the captain came on the line and said folks I'm terribly sorry I've got to interrupt this flight. We're going to be an hour late getting back to Brisbane. Oh, and I could hear the businessmen groaning who were going back to appointments. He said, this is a direct flight, but we've been ordered to stop at Rockhampton to pick up enough passengers to fill up the empty seats because their plane won't get off the ground. Oh, there was grumbling. We all got off the plane at Rocky, went into the airport and um, then all came out together. And I was in the middle of the crowd getting on the plane because I was sitting right at the back. And there was a Pentecostal pastor, I'm not going to mention his name. <clears throat> Some of you might recall this man's habits. Uh, he's sitting in the front row. Now there's a pile of guys on the gangplank waiting to get in the plane. And I'm, this guy stops me. He says, oh, Brother Dave, how are you? And how are things going in the ministry? And the guy behind me says, I don't care, get on the plane. So I shuffled down the back and we took off, leveled out. And people began to relax and drink carts came down the aisle. And this guy in the front row jumps up, and he can't get down the aisle. He could have waited, but this is his personality. He shouted out, Brother Dave, Brother Dave, where are you? Everything stopped, everything stopped. I mean, panic stations amongst the staff. What's going on here? Where's Brother Dave? This guy was shouting. So I tried to cringe away, and he spotted me. He said, stand up. Am I your dog? I've got to do some tricks for you. This is what I was thinking. I was annoyed with him. And publicly, he yells out. He says, I want to know how you stay hungry for God. Huh? Everyone's looking, what's this maniac on about? He shouted this out down the length of this plane. And I'm standing there all embarrassed now, because I'm on the spot. I said, God, give me an answer. It just popped into my head. I said, sir, in a couple of sentences, I stay hungry for God, that when I'm prompted into something in his will to do for him, and I'm out on a limb with resources I can't, I don't have and I'm out on a twig and I'm trusting God to keep that twig strong in case I fall off that's when I become hungry for God he said brilliant brother brilliant is there any copyright on that I said it's free you can have it and I sat down I sat down now I'm trying to get out of sight and people are looking at me and sniggering Block next to me says brother Dave I said just call me Dave please he said tell me about this, being hungry for God. He was a secular businessman, wasn't saved. And I thought, that raucous pastor has given me an opportunity to share Jesus with this guy. So I started sharing my testimony with him, got to the point of how I got saved, and he's interested. A couple of guys sitting around me are interested too. And um, the Lord showed me, by a little word of wisdom, that this guy had just made a very wrong big decision I said "Sir, I don't know the details here but you've just come from a meeting where you've backed out of a situation that was ordained by God for you because you think you can't cope and millions of people are going to go down the drain because your expertise won't be in this situation and a look of real fright and fear came on his face and there were one two three in front of him and The guy sitting just on the other side of him, four of them, all turned around and said, you see, you were wrong. God's interested in us. You've got to stay in with us. And the chairman of the syndicate was sitting in front of me. He turned around and he said, sir, that was definitely from God. Because nobody knows about this man's decision other than us. Not even our families, because in the Qantas lounge, At Rocky Airport, he dropped the bombshell. He's backing out of our syndicate because he feels he can't cope. He's the financial brains behind this. And he went on to tell me, he said, you watch your TV in four to six months' time. We're discussing this with the government and the government's opposition. It's a project that's going to get off the ground to help millions of people around the Pacific Rim, business-wise, money-wise, family-wise, to better their lives and prevent the suicide rate that's going on. And the chairman said, seeing God is interested in us, I think we'd better get to know him. Would you lead us to Jesus? Four of those guys, including my friend sitting next to the guy against the window was involved in a cult. He wasn't interested. Four of them got saved. You know, I never called my Pentecostal pastor friend from Rocky and told him about that, because that would prompt him to do it more. But, um, <clears throat> you know, surprise, don't back away from things like that. You might be in an embarrassing situation where um, you think, I'm on the spot. I'm so embarrassed. I'll never survive this. Who cares? It's God's will. You just use the opportunity to share Jesus with people. How about the revelation gifts? Word of knowledge. That is something of God's knowledge regarding others or situations that you don't know in the natural. That's why it's called a word of knowledge. Supplying you with knowledge you don't know, obviously for a purpose, not just for your curiosity. There was a country town, a sheep farming town I was ministering in, at the invitation of the Church of England. And praying for people at one of the evening meetings, I noticed a man standing at the back with two little children, um, looking so ragged and worn out and hunched up and crushed. And I said to him, I'd finished praying for people. It was the end of the evening, looking forward to a little cook sister. Uh, That's a little syrupy delicacy and a cup of tea. And um, the Lord said to me, tell him this. I said to him, sir, I'm I'm, I'm hoping I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. Your wife disappeared a week ago. You're fearing she's committed suicide, but she hasn't. You've got the police looking for her, but they can't find her. And they, they all think that you've been uh, roughing her up. And you've proved that you, you aren't. But she's had a nervous breakdown. And she's needed help. And she's found a group that are looking after her and ministering to her. And she's going to come back to you in 10 days' time, perfectly healthy and well and right with God. Sean, sure, I think, God, I hope I'm right with that. I'll be gone by the end of this weekend, and, but I'd, I wanted to hear about it. The Anglican priest called me a week later. He said, you were spot on with that family. Wife came back healthy and whole, right mindset, just as you'd said, and that family have all got saved. I've led that family to Jesus. They're in the church. Oh. <laughs> Some of the things, you know, if it's outrageous, then it's from God. But I always check it out. God, come on. You know, and normally what he gives me is a knee in the backside. Bang! I feel a jolt. Do it. Just say it. And I try and use the right words as well. A word of wisdom. That is the wisdom from God in a tricky situation where people don't know what decisions to make. And the worst situation I've ever had was one of those free evenings where my, my wife and my, our three little children were looking forward to having me home instead of out preaching. And a knock on the door as we had just said grace and about to eat the meal. And this little man, his name was Paul, ran in under my arm, didn't say hello to anybody, sat down in my living room. I, oh gosh, he was a talker. And three hours were gone. And it meant I wouldn't see my children again that night, no bedtime stories. And I said to them, carry on eating. I sat down with him. He said, Dave, I've got this problem, I don't know what it is, and I don't know the solution. And I'm thinking, oh, God, I'm going to kick him out. And the Lord showed me exactly what his problem was. And he was naturally, and I said, shut up, Paul. This is what God says to you. This is your problem. He said, you're right. And I said, keep quiet, because this is a solution. It hit the target. Didn't need any counseling. He said, thank you very much. Gave me a hug, and he was gone. Inside seven minutes, he's gone. I said, God, do this more often. <laughs> that, that, that was a classic. Um, and then how about the discerning of spirits now this gift can be abused especially by dominating people domineering people who are not doing anything for God they want to become superior every situation I've seen it's been someone in a congregation it doesn't do a thing but feels they'd like to be in charge they'd like to control people and they'll come up to someone and say I'm spirit filled and I'm thinking what spirit and uh, and uh, because I know the person and God has shown me by discernment you're out of his will. You have a contrary spirit. That is not how that gift works. It's the discerning of the Holy Spirit through you of what's going on in the spirit world, the demonic world, that could be plaguing a person. When a doctor genuinely is treating the person with chemicals and and counseling, but that person has a demonic entity somewhere in their circumstances that is plaguing them, and that demonic entity has to be evicted. you can't just rush in and do that you've got to help that person to understand that and when they're ready to be set free you can set them free in Jesus name and um, in fact I said to one Anglican priest in this country I said get rid of that domineering woman from your church she controls you as well otherwise it'll destroy the church he didn't and the church fell apart Uh, It's not only women, it's men who try that too, who are not doing anything and just decide, I want to be in control. And then the gift of faith. Actually, I'm going to leave that to the end. I'm nearly finished. How about the gift of healings? I love the word, it's plural, healings, where um, all sorts of sicknesses and maladies and diseases and a multiplicity of gifts of healings that overcome those situations. Typical situation when we were living in Runcorn, I'd get up early in the morning after the dogs had all been through and left their monuments on the garden overnight and I'd mow the lawn. And I was rather smelly because I didn't have shin guards on, keeping all the muck off my legs. And I thought I'm gonna have a good shower and then go out for the day. And at 7 a.m. Margarita, my dearly beloved wife of 56 years, that's how I trust her. <clears throat> Came out and she said, Dave, I need you to go to Cole's right now. Just down bottom end of Runcorn, near Kingston Road. And 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 I, I need this And look, that list is about 45 minutes long. And no specifications. Look, I'm an accountant and auditor by profession. I need details. I don't know what to know. The make, the size of the packet, exactly on the shelf where it is, it can be frustrating for some people. It saves me a lot of time if I know the detail. So I think, okay, because I'm a very obedient and submissive husband, I agreed. (laughs) I'm glad she's not here. She probably, (laughs) is this being recorded? Oh, Okay. So I went to the supermarket angry and very disillusioned, not feeling very spiritual. And I'm running up and down the aisles, throwing stuff. Fortunately, it wasn't crowded at 7 a.m just a few people, nobody I knew. And I was just throwing stuff in the shopping cart, just thinking she's gonna have to do with this, have to do with this. And I'm about halfway through the list and I come down and I look down and I saw the strangest thing I've never seen anywhere before. There was a shopping cart, half full of stuff, with an elderly lady with her head buried inside the goods and her her legs and petticoats all kicking around in the air. <laughs> and nobody else had seen it. I thought, she had for her ice cream boxes in, on top of her head and I thought she's going to suffocate. So I ran down the aisle, lifted her out, and she had a, a plaster bandage on her forehead and uh, she said to me, oh, you're Dave Smithhurst. I thought, I, I didn't recognize her. Um, she said, oh, I, I heard you preach at the um, uh, Uniting Church in um, uh, Mount Cravat. Uh, some years ago my husband and I didn't like your preaching so we never came back and I thought that's a nice introduction That gets me <laughs> on side and I said well, what happened to you? How did you fall into the shopping cart? She said I actually came out of hospital this morning I've just had cancer surgery cancer taken off my head. I said shouldn't you be at home in bed? She said my husband told me that too and um, I um, I He went to work and I Couldn't get to sleep And I heard this voice say, get up now and go to Coles in Runcorn. (laughs) She'd heard from God. My wife had heard from God, but I hadn't. So I tried to straighten up and make amends. And I said, uh, would you like me to pray for you? She said, I'd love that. Put my hand gently on her head, prayed for her healing. You know, it wasn't flowery. I didn't feel like praying. I felt rather down and discouraged. And um, she said, wow you got some magic she said that, 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 that's, I feel so good she gave me a hug a kiss on the cheek and she disappeared she left all the stuff in the cart and she left <laughs> they turned actually I'll tell you what Margarita said when I got home she said don't you ever tell me I'm not led by the Holy Spirit when I send you to the supermarket <laughs> two weeks later I was preaching at the Garden City Church one Sunday morning and she and her husband got saved in the altar call I spotted them in the altar call about 40 people had responded so I said don't run away I'll just shake the other people's hands give them to the counselors. I want to talk to you why are you here this morning they said well we saw that your name was advertised in the newspaper you were preaching here today and we thought we've got to come and tell you I've just got the clearance from God from from the doctors that there's no cancer in my head whatsoever all the other tumors that I had were gone you know You don't have to say the finest words. You don't have to be in the right frame of mind. God will work through any willing or unwilling vessel. And then finally, let's look at the gift of faith. And I'll finish this with a story because I definitely saw three gifts piggyback on each other. It was the uh, gift of faith, the gift of healing, and the working of miracles. It was in a little country church that attracted almost every other church in the community. Happened in South Africa, where um, a youth meeting on the Thursday night, which we had to get the police permission. And they gladly granted it because of the peace God had brought into that area. It was a troubled, turbulent political area. And um, the police had sanctioned us to have a multi-ethnic meeting. I mean, that would be abhorrent in, in Australia that you can't have a multi-ethnic church meeting. But they came from every ethnic group, because I'd been speaking in their schools during the day, and the the kids all knew me. Even the local Catholic convent, the Mother Superior, wanted the 200 girls who were being confirmed to come to my meeting, because she said, I refuse to let them get confirmed if they're not saved. They've got to be saved, and you can lead them to Jesus. So she backed me, Mother Superior. Anyway, the situation was, that as I got up to address them, it was a short evening. They had to be back in their hostels by nine. And this was now quarter past seven. And I said, folk, I just want to welcome you. I thank the music group for singing a couple of songs. And I'm just going to share my testimony with you and then give you an opportunity to receive Christ. And a little lady ran onto the platform, babbling away in the Afrikaans language, very strong. I can even remember her name. I'm not going to say it because she's long gone to heaven. And she pulled me off the stage. Picture this. Here's this ranting, screaming woman pulling me off the stage, and I'm resisting. And everyone's thinking, is this a drama somebody's put on? Well, she was screaming out in Afrikaans, you've got to come to the hospital now to pray for this little girl. She was hit by a truck this afternoon. She ran in the street to get a ball, and she was thrown into a pile of bricks. Her head split open. She's dying! Come Come and pray for her! And she's dragging me off the platform. Fortunately, the minister... And one of his aides got up and held her back. She said, he said, uh, the minister said, you know, I'm a chaplain at the hospital. I'll bring Mr. Smither's up straight after this meeting. Well, that placated her. Well, let me tell you that half that audience got saved that night. There weren't enough counsellors. I had to do the group counselling, give them my little Following Jesus booklet, which was a follow-up booklet. You can read through it in half an hour, get your direction with God, the assurance of your salvation. And um, um, finally... We got to the hospital after hours. It was in darkness. The only light was in the casualty entrance. So the chaplain and I walked in and um, the night sister, African lady, said, can I help you gentlemen? She recognized the chaplain. He said, we'd like to see this little girl. She said, well, you're too late. She died an hour ago. And the body is still there if you want to have a look at it and give it the last rites. (sighs) I'd, I'd stopped at roadside accidents and help put broken bones back in place where they were protruding from legs and that sort of thing, but i would never seen anything like this. Part of this little girl's skull was missing. Her head was shaved. Um, I mean, it stank. She was lying in a pool of thick blood, and they didn't want to disturb it. Was a Big country ward, curtains around it, about 40 other people in the ward. They didn't want to disturb the people. They were waiting for the morning watch to come in to take the body for autopsy. And I didn't know what to do. The nurse did say to us don't shout! I know you preachers coming in here and Shout! you wake people up I said no ma'am God's not deaf I don't have to shout and um, she left us alone she gave us five minutes and I looked at this little kid and I said God what a waste that's right God what a waste what a waste this shouldn't have happened I mean it was her fault It wasn't the truck driver's fault she ran in the road to pick up a ball and the truck hit her and I could feel this unction rising up in me. It was like, you know, when you have enjoyed a good meal and and it rises up within you. That's how I felt. I didn't recognize it, but looking back, I knew what it was. That was the faith of the Holy Spirit that guided me what to do in a situation I didn't know how to handle. And the, the Anglican minister was wringing his hands, didn't know what to do either. He said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know, but keep quiet. I'm trying to think. And into my head came these words rebuke the enemy rebuke the enemy so the enemy in this situation was the spirit of death so i said death i rebuke you i rebuke you in the name of jesus christ it's not this child's time obviously and therefore i said god step in here the same spirit that raised jesus dead body back to life touch the child and then i said to david the little minister he was wringing his hands. I said, come on, let's raise our hands over this child. I hadn't touched her. Raise our hands over this child and just give God praise for a couple of minutes. I checked my watch when we got outside. We were out in four and a half minutes. That was all. Next morning, I called the hospital to find out what had happened. Nobody would talk to me. I could just hear noise in the background. But I wanted to visit the parents. And this is the story the parents told me. That the next morning, a little nurse aide had come to the bedside with the curtains all around it, to tie up the body to send it to the mortuary. And she was tying up the kid's feet with a bandage. And the little girl sat up in the bed and said, What are you doing? Well, <laughs> oh, of course, the nurse got such a fright. A corpse is talking. And the nurse ran to call the doctors. Two doctors came in, one of whom had signed the death certificate the night before. <laughs> and the doctor said to this little girl, well, nurses were patching up the head and sanitizing the wound. Yeah, the kid was alive. And uh, forming, taking measurements and forming a curved plate, because the skull had disintegrated in that part, to form a plate to go around the head. And the doctor said to the child, just trying to make conversation, um, child, you should be dead. And the little girl answered him back, said, I don't know about that, sir, but I am hungry. <laughs> well, they brought us some scrambled egg, and the kid ate it all up. By mid-morning, she was so well, they decided, she was running around the ward, they decided to re-X-ray her. Now, the doctor finally showed me, three days later, the before and after X-ray film. I couldn't see much difference. He said, look at the different color. He said, that's brand new brain tissue. I said, Doctor, what do you think about that? He said, a miracle. And I noticed as he closed the folder, that was very grubby at that time. Somebody had taken a big felt-tip pen and written across the front, unexplained, question mark. <laughs> oh, you could see the three gifts in operation there. And please, when that happens to you, don't stop and analyze it. Holy Spirit, what gift? It, you can think about it afterwards. Only a year later, I got to think about it. Gift of faith, gift of healing, working miracles. Will you stand to your feet, please? I want to pray an anointing upon you. And I'd like you, if you don't mind, raise both your hands to the air. Like your life is a funnel, an open funnel. And you're going to receive from God. Folk, can I suggest you do this every morning? You get out of bed when you're on your own. Just stand like this. Picture yourself as a funnel and say, God, I need a topping up before I go into the day. I need you to. Fill me up again. Refill me with your Holy Spirit so that wherever I go, I'm going to overflow onto others. And if I'm squeezed by prickly people and pressurized circumstances, I'm going to overflow with your presence. How about praying this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you now in all sincerity. Wanting to uplift Jesus in my life. Holy Spirit, please fill me afresh. You can see how empty I am. I need to be filled up again. But I want to go for the overflow. Overflow from my life and splash onto people around me. Even if they're not aware of what's happening. That they'll be drawn to Christ. And I, or somebody else, will have the privilege of bringing them to Jesus. That's my commitment, Lord, and I ask you to do it. Now, Lord, you've heard that prayer, and I ask you to set your seal on it, that from this group this morning and others in the congregation who are not here will come such an overflow of God's power that it'll catch the world by surprise. How can that come out of Red Bank Plains? Well, that's the Holy Spirit's choice. God bless you, my friends. Go and do it. Amen. Thank you for listening.